Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well. Children, you can be released for Children's Church. If you want to make your way to the back, the teachers will be there to uh, receive you there. And so thankful for the past two weeks, you've been able to have some guest preachers. Ryan Walker from Cross Point downtown. And then last week, Justin Sarah from Cross Point Palm Bay. So thankful for them for uh, preaching here. That kind of freed me up to work during the week on some things that will be coming up in the fall that I'm super excited to share with you in the, the coming weeks. And so thank you to them and for your grace in, in receiving them uh, over these past two weeks. Now, we've been going through a series this summer that we've entitled A Fight for Joy battling sin as we look to Jesus. And I think Justin Sarah did such a great job of reminding us that this is not a call to just be good, like stop being bad, be good. It's not a call to morality. It's a call to Christ. It's a call for the affections of our heart that we've been talking about. Our heart is like a garden, a spiritual garden that needs to be cultivated. It needs to be watered. But what are you looking to, to nurture and cultivate the flourishing of your heart? I've been using Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 19 as kind of the foundation of, of the series where God says, for my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've turned away from me. And secondly, what they have done is they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's this reality that when we are called to cultivate our hearts, where are you looking for your joy? So let me ask you this. Think about the last time you were tired. Like, not just physically tired. Do you know the kind of tired I mean? Like, emotionally tired, physically tired, at the end of your rope. The, the, the last time you were, you were hangry, right? You're hungry, you're angry, you feel unloved, unwanted, unknown. You feel isolated, nobody cares, nobody appreciates you. It leads to, to anger, that then, then boredom. Where did you turn for comfort in that moment? This is what we're looking at. What are the broken cisterns that we look to? Do, do you look inward? Like, oh, I got this all in myself. I got this, me, myself, and I. Do you look to the, the broken cistern of pride? Do you look to others and you're like, if I had their life, if I was them, if I had their spouse, their children, their blessing, I wouldn't have any of these uncomfortable feelings I have now. And we begin to look to the broken cistern of envy. Do you find yourself giving way to, to fits of anger and bitterness and rage, just having to take it out physically and emotionally to release the pain that you're feeling inside? Do you just give up? Just like, I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to sleep. I just can't do it anymore. I'm just going to veg in, in front of the TV. 
I don't want to deal with these feelings anymore. I just want to forget about it. Or, or maybe you throw yourself into work and you just mindlessly continue not to accomplish anything, but just simply so you don't have to feel what you're feeling. And again, we find ourselves lapping in the dust in the broken cistern of sloth. Today, we're looking at the emptiness, the broken cistern of lust. It's a hard topic to stand up in front of a church and like, let's talk about lust this morning. I just want to put that out there. I'm uncomfortable. Okay? The scripture talks about it. There is truth that we need to hear. Because lust, in many ways, is simply a disordered affection. It is in a longing that is out of proportion, out of control. Look in many different ways. We can have a lust for money, which we call greed. A lust for other people's possessions, which we call envy. But most often than not, when we use the term lust, it is referencing our sexual desires. And so I want to begin with this definition of what lust is, because lust is a distorted sexual desire that dishonors another person and disregards God. This is what lust is that we're going to be talking about. But to understand how are our sexual desires distorted, we first need to understand what was God's original intent for these desires. How did God create us to be sexual beings? Those desires, what was the purpose? Then we'll be able to understand how sin has caused distortions in that. And so we're going to be using the framework of the gospel to understand and to go through this. Think of, we often talk about the gospel of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We're going to be using that to help us walk through this topic Creation. What was God's original intent for sex? How has the fall in sin distorted those sexual desires? And what hope do we have then in redemption in Christ? This is going to be the pattern that we'll be walking through. But I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses. We're going to be jumping around many of the references you'll see on the screen. So I want you to turn there, and then let's read together. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions uh, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. But the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and we solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives us his Holy Spirit to you. 
This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you for this time we have this morning. I thank you that in your sovereignty, your providence, this is where you would have us this morning. Lord, fix our hearts and eyes on you. Help us to see clearly this morning. Lord, would you bring conviction where conviction is needed? Would you comfort us with gospel comfort this morning where there is brokenness? Lord, we look to you and you alone. And in Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with creation because so often what I find is how the world perceives Christians is that Christians are prudish. We're Victorian. It's puritanical. You you believe that sex and sexual desires is is wrong. It's dirty. It's it's bad. Don't do it. There's this view that can be towards that. I, I once had this cult missionary come up to me when we were living in France, and he was trying to convince me like how I could become my own God. And he looked back at the Garden of Eden, and he says, don't you know the forbidden fruit was sex. That's what God told them not to do. Sex is what caused all these problems. Think of how that shapes understanding. I did some research. That's not an uncommon false belief. That that there's this view as, is it wrong? Is it bad? And I want us to understand the reality of God's design. Because only when we understand what's true can we understand how it's been distorted by sin. So in Genesis 2, the reality of God's design in creation, God made humankind. He made them male. He made them female. He creates two distinct but complementary people, both of whom are created in the image of God. They bear His image, it says in Genesis 1.27. God is the one who institutes the covenant of marriage. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That God instituted the covenant of marriage, that sex is a a physical representation of the union that has been declared in the heavens. And God then commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1.28. His command, God created Adam and Eve with sexual desire, commanded them, have sex, make babies, fill the earth. This was the command, intent, purpose of sex in Scripture. And it's explicit throughout Scripture. God's design and purpose. There's three things I want you to see up on the screen. One, sex was meant to be a consummation of the marriage covenant. Genesis 2.24. It's for procreation, making babies. Within the covenant of marriage, Genesis 1.28. And it is for the mutual pleasure and delight of the husband and wife. It's not only for procreation. It's to serve and to please the spouse. It is for the other person. That is also talked about throughout Scripture. This is the purpose, God's design 
of sex. And we see that it is this beautiful, whole vulnerability. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed to be fully known, vulnerable, and, and to be accepted. This is the, in, in physically representing what is true emotionally and spiritually, the, the unity that's there. That, that is ultimately even a picture beyond marriage into the heavenly realm. This is God's purpose and intention for sex and our sexual desires. Now, how has sin distorted this? How did we go from these God-given sexual desires to poison of unnatural lust? How did something that was a gift of God become this empty, broken cistern where we go and lap in the dust seeking joy that only God Himself can provide. Back to Genesis 3, when we see that Adam and Eve wanted to say, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. I want to be like God. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. Right? We want to determine for ourselves what's right, what's wrong. We don't want to have to listen to God. I want to follow my own desires. I want to follow my own path. And when they walked in disobedience, humanity was broken. Relationships between man and God were broken. With one another were broken. Creation itself was broken. And this is where we come back to the definition of lust. It is a distorted desire. It dishonors another person and it disregards God. There's three aspects here I want us to see in this definition that we're going to walk through. That lust, it distorts what God intended as our sexual desire. It distorts that. It sins against others, and it sins against God. It's a distorted desire because it changes the will of God as our creator for our own will, for our own desire. Lust strips sex from the context of marriage, reducing it to a satisfaction of mere physical cravings. It takes what is a gift of God and it makes it ultimate. Sin distorts our sexuality because it both diminishes our view of sex and it also exalts our view of sexuality beyond what God ever intended. Here's what I mean. Carl Truman, in his recent book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says this, while sex may be presented today as little more than a recreational activity, sexuality is presented as that which lies at the very heart of what it means to be an authentic person. That is a profound claim that is arguably unprecedented in human history. Do you see how distorted our culture's view of sex is today. It diminishes the view of sex, then rather than having it as a union in this covenant unifying, it makes it nothing more than, than a physical craving to be satisfied at another's expense. It diminishes the, the view of sex to simply swipe left, swipe right, friends with benefits. It reduces 
It diminishes God's view of sex within our culture. Yet, at the same time, it elevates it. It elevates the, the identity of a person to say, your sexuality then is what lies at the heart of who you are. One sexual desire without submission to God seeks to replace God as the ultimate source of one's identity. And rather than surrendering to the truth that we were created in the image of God to display His glory, we define ourselves by our own sexual desires. Lust leads to a distorted view of our sexual desires. But it also it also dishonors the other person, what God intended to be serving, loving, unifying, naked, but unashamed, now uses another person. When sexual desire is reduced to an animalistic impulse, what we're actually saying is, I want your body, but I don't want you. It is the absence of any kind of covenant. It's saying, I want to have sex with you, but I don't want you. I don't want to, to be obligated to you. I don't want to be emotionally entangled. I don't want any legal obligation. Just, I want to find personal satisfaction and then move on without regard for who you are. It dehumanizes and dishonors the other person. What was meant to unify a husband and a wife is now selfishly used to consume another person for our own pleasure. That is the heart of lust. That is its ugly face that we want to keep hidden. It dishonors. Think about what this means practically. The words and things that we don't want to talk about in church, but need to be said, need to be heard. What about pornography? You disregard the personhood, this individual who was created in the image of God, their story, and you use their image for your own self-pleasure, consuming them with absolute disregard for who they are. Uh, and we've heard the studies, right? We can say, oh, yes, we've heard the studies where 70% of men and 20% of women have looked at porn in the last month. These are national statistics. And some will say it's the same in the church as it is outside the church, but that's not true. And you have to be careful to look at what those studies say because some are like, yes, if, if you're a Christian, People said, yes, I'm a Christian. They're a cultural Christian, but they're like, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe what his view of sexuality is. Those people, yes, no difference. But those who actually say, yes, I am born again. Yes, I believe that God's word is true. The, the percentage drastically drops. And I want us to see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 4, that each one of you know how to, to control his own body in holiness and honor, um, in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not 
know God. This is actually a graphic verse. When we look at what it says, that each one of you know how to control his own body. If you look at the footnote there, it'll say to control your own vessel. It means control your private parts with honor before God. Bring your private parts under the submission of God because you know Him. Don't give in to the passions of lust like those who don't know God. Control your body because you know God. Don't be like those who don't know God. We are called to holiness. We are called to honor our bodies because they belong to God. But while pornography can be an easy one to touch on for men, though it does impact women, what about the daydreaming, the, the novels, the fantasy, romance novels, erotic romance novels? Ten years ago, Fifty Shades of Grey came out, was the bestseller list across the globe, translated into 52 different languages. Think about this. And don't tell me that lust is only a, a sin that men struggle with. It just looks different. What about the daydreams and the thinking, and, and what if that person was my husband? What would it be like if my life was completely different and I could just run away and, and start over and be with them, if my family was like their family? And we begin to entertain these fantasies in our mind. But it's still this emptiness of lust that is drawing us. You get lost in another world. Maybe it's in writing. Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a movie. But characters then begin to shape your dreams. And your heart then begins to lose affection for the people that God has actually put in your life. This is part of the process I want us to be aware of, of even how we, we fight sin. How do we understand the fall? How do we understand how our view of, of sex has been distorted? How it dishonors another person and ultimately leads us to disregarding God altogether. It begins in our mind. right? It begins with our thoughts. We can never just say, I'm just watching this. I'm just looking. It's not like I'm actually doing anything. I'm just a passive observer. It's not actually impacting me. It's not making any change in me. I'm just watching the show. I'm just daydreaming a little bit. I'm just imagining what it would be like to be with this person. These are lies. Lies of lust that whispers in our ears that lead us away from God. This is why Jesus says, look, if you look at another person and you imagine in your mind that you're having sex with them, you've already broken my purpose for what sex was for. It starts in the mind. Before it ever comes to our heart, before it ever becomes an action, it comes into our thinking. It's the thoughts we entertain, the fantasies we allow to play out. 
The battle begins in our head. And then it impacts our affections. Then the thoughts begin to change how we feel. Even secular scientists have found how pornography and other forms of the emptiness of lust leads to isolation, it leads to depression, and it leads to anxiety. These are proven of what's happening in us, what's happening in our thoughts impacts our life. And then all of a sudden you look back on your life and you see that the road to disobedience was first paved in your mind before it was ever transversed with your feet. And you ask, how did I get here? And the reality is, we see that it separates us from God. It disregards God as our creator. See, we say, I'm my own person. These are my own desires. I can live how I want. My body belongs to me, right? This is me. And my desires aren't bad. They're just my desires. And we claim ownership of that which actually belongs to God as the creator. Think about this. We see this at play all the time. Don't we like as parents, have you ever bought something nice for your home and then how children treat that? See, I was the child before I was the parent. What I didn't realize is my parents had saved and had sacrificed for months in order to buy me a new bed. It was an awesome bed. It sat high. It had uh, drawers for clothes, shelves for my toys. They had saved and worked hard for that. Now, I got mad at my parents the day the bed arrived. I don't remember why. What I do remember is in my anger, I took a penknife that I had and I chopped at the bed and just dug it all up. I didn't know my mom cried. I don't, I, to this day, I don't know how much the bed cost, how much they saved. But the reality is when something doesn't belong to us, we have no regard. My parents, it had value because they had purchased it. They had saved. Do you see that there's a spiritual reality here? We are not our own. You have been bought with a price. Your body is not your own. It belongs to God for His honor, for His glory. It doesn't belong to you. So we surrender. We submit our feelings, our affections, our desire to Him who made us. This is what it looks like then to walk in holiness because we see God is the author and creator. But we realize that sexual sin, like all sin, separates us from God. Look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Up above there in verse 6, the Lord is our avenger. I forgot to reference even in how we dishonor people. It says above this, the one who transgresses and wrongs his brother. We, we see all of this playing out in the passage. That sin separates us from God. He is the avenger of these things. We drink condemnation, not joy. When we drink from the fountain, the empty cistern of lust. 
we drink condemnation. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Entertaining lustfulness in our minds blinds our eyes from seeing the beauty of who God is. It blinds our eyes. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, through No, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There should be a seriousness that we feel when we don't just say, oh, I'm just playing around with these empty cisterns, but I'm really trusting in God. This is dealing with our eternal soul. It's dealing with the affections of our heart. What do we go to when we're tired and lonely and unloved? Where are we looking? Where do we go? And this should bring about a conviction in our hearts to say, God, let me look to you. But what hope then do we have? If this is the reality of the fall and how it distorts God's original intent for sex and our sexual desire, what hope is there in the gospel to, to redeem what has been distorted because of sin? Here's the amazing truth I want us to feel. Jesus rescues sinners who are enslaved to lust. Do we feel that? Do we believe that? Jesus rescues people who are enslaved to lust. He does. The redemptive power of Jesus provides pardon for sexual sin. It provides healing for sexual brokenness. It provides restoration for fractured sexual identities. This is the power of the gospel at work. Because see, we can look at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. We can see how the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. How not only sexual sin, but all sin separates us from God. And if we're honest with ourselves, even in this list, we would see ourselves And we would say, what hope then do I have? Because I am wicked. I am evil. Does that mean I won't inherit the kingdom of God? What hope do I have? Unless we, if we stopped reading in verse 10, we would be without hope. But it continues. And the very, very next verse says, in such were some of you. See, the apostle Paul is writing to believers you were like this. You were like those. You were, but not now. Because now, you were washed. See, you were condemned, but now you're clean. You were sanctified. You were a sinner, but now you're sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. You were under judgment, but now... 
Your story is that you are declared righteous. This is the power of gospel at work. This is what it looks like when those who have been enslaved to lust have been set free. You were, but not now. And I think some here need to hear this truth. Because you carry a guilt and a condemnation from past sin. You've placed your trust, your faith in Jesus. But the condemnation of who you were, what you have done, continues to linger. The, the doubts that say, but, but remember. And I want you to hear this verse. I want you to hear the gospel. You, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are washed clean. Clean. You have been declared by God to be without blemish, without fault. No hint of sin remains. You are perfect in the eyes of Jesus. Perfect. The perfection of Jesus is your covering, is your clothing. You have been forgiven. You have been declared, sanctified, justified. The death of Jesus paid the penalty. For those wrongs, Jesus paid in full. The Holy Spirit indwells you, has made his home inside you for the glory of God and for your joy. There is power in the gospel when sometimes we have to tell our hearts, this is what's true. I feel condemned. I feel shame for who I was. And then we speak the power of the gospel and we submit our feelings to what is true. This is the truth. And so when the lies and the accusations come, I would encourage you, Look back, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Go back again and again. I was like that, but not now. That is the power of the gospel. But there is also hope for the present. That God renews, He restores us today in the ongoing battle to walk in holiness. John Piper has a podcast called uh, Ask Pastor John, and in it, he was asked the question, what does it look like to fight against the emptiness of, of lust? And he gave two strategies, and, and I would add a, a third. He said it is, a, it is about both resistance and reception. When we think about this physically, if you want to get stronger, what do you do? You exercise, you, you lift weights, you, you lift 20, 30, 40 pounds, if you want bigger biceps, and you use the, the resistance to break down and build muscle. There is both resistance, but it's also going to matter about what you eat. Eating healthier, eating more protein, what you take in is going to matter. The same thing is true spiritually. There are things that we are called to resist. James 1.3 says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I, I want you to feel this aspect of what are, are you saying no to? How are you saying no to that? The thing he says is, is the five-second rule. It's not like five seconds on the ground, and if it's more than that, you shouldn't need it. 
right? It's five seconds. You have five seconds. When temptation comes upon you, the clock has started. You have five seconds to determine what you're going to do because longer than that, and you're going to give in. You're going to want to give in. I remember my dad telling me this. I had no idea what he was talking about. Didn't understand it, but he's like, if you don't know what you're going to say before the temptation comes to you, you're going to give in. So he would like practice with me and he would make me like figure out what I was going to say. And I thought it was the stupidest, most uncomfortable conversation I had ever had with my father. And it came in handy so much because coming home, I played basketball in college late at night. There were offers that were made that the only thing you can do is like, my dad said to say this and run. (laughs) Was a complete fool. And I am so, so thankful Figure out now what you're going to say. One of the things that stands out in my mind of how we, we fight for this is Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is what I find in myself because it's not just what we're resisting. See, and it can't just be, we can put these external restrictions, right? Like, oh, I don't want to look at porn, so I'm going to have these web filters on. And we have all of these things to try to manage our circumstances, but we never really get to the heart as to why we're looking to that. Why am I going to these things? Why am I going to, to, to these novels, to these TV shows, to these movies, to these web pages? What is the motivation in my heart that I'm soothing with the empty cistern of lust. There is something deeper that is broken. And what happens is when we can resist, there's also then what are we taking in? What are we receiving? What are we trusting in God for? That I want something better than what's being offered. This is why I feel like the fighter verse for me is is that Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I want to see God. I want to know him. I want to see him clearly. I don't want to go to this empty cistern that that comforts for a moment and then leads to shame and condemnation. I want, I long to see and to be satisfied in Christ himself. Lord, help me to understand why my heart wants to seek these other things. It is both in resisting and receiving and in walking this journey together. The sin of lust comes with it. Shame, condemnation. Don't tell anybody. What are they going to think of you? And it will lead you to a deeper and deeper isolation, depression, condemnation until you ultimately just withdraw completely. You'll blame it on other things. But how are we walking together as brothers and sisters in Christ to pursue holiness, honoring God with the bodies that belong to Him? This is the the call, the invitation. This is my plea. Let us be a people that looks to Christ, that says He is the fountain of living waters. And we surrender our hearts and minds to Him.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you speak on these hard topics that are uncomfortable and yet we face day in and day out. They are a reality within us. Lord, help us to submit to the reality that you are our creator, that our bodies do not belong to us but to you and that we would honor you in the holiness of our bodies, Lord. Help us to take every thought captive, to not entertain fantasies or scenarios that are outside of your perfect purpose and plan for sex. Lord, would you be glorified in our lives? Would you lead us to transparency and openness with one another? Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.